All right, if you're like me, how many of you that grew up going to church, your mom would dress you up to the hilt? Anybody like me? Okay. So whether or not you, it was, especially on special days, like Mother's Day, you had to wear what my mom wanted me to wear or Easter. <clears throat> so this is me, seven, eight years old. My mom would dress me up in this wonderful, wonderful trench coat suit, trench coat, and one of those English driving caps. Yeah. It was like a cross between, I look like a cross between James Bond and Dom DeLuise. It was just, it was a sight, it was just a sight to see. So. And I love my mom, so I did it. There are pictures, by the way. Some of the pictures, my parents will be in the second service. I will not share the story with them because they will pull out the pictures. So um, got to love moms. Got to love our moms. So we're glad that you're here. Uh, we are in the uh, uh, series on community and uh, looking at what the church really is all about. And, uh, you know, if you've been here any length of time at our church, you know that uh, what we do is we take a certain topic and we kind of dissect it and we look into it and we look at certain scriptures to see what the Lord has to say about that. And and we want to look at the church today. And and as we look into the topic of the church, we want to know what the church is and what the church isn't. We want to define exactly what the church is and how you fit into this community as the body of Christ. I know there's a lot of wrong definitions of the church. We make the mistake of saying we're going to church like church is actually a building that you go to. And what we've been learning over the last couple of weeks, we know that the church is not the building. We are the church. We come together as the body of Christ. The church is not a building. We are the church. You are the church. We've been taking a close look at what the church is. Who is the church? What is the church? What's the reason and the purpose for the church? And if, if you could define the church, we see the word church in the Bible. And it actually comes from a Greek word, ekklesia, which is actually, actually two words, ek meaning out of and klesis meaning to call. So literally it's called out once. So here's the definition that we've come up with with the church. The church is made up of individuals who have been called out of the world and now belong to the body of Christ. It's a very powerful thing. The church is not just something that you go to, to a building or denomination. You say, okay, I'm going to church, so I'm going to this particular church. So because I go to church on Sunday, then that automatically makes me a Christian so I can, I can identify with this church and maybe even say, well, I went to this church and I actually went through some classes to become a member or I was baptized in that church. That doesn't necessarily make you a Christian or part of the church. We're gonna, we need to understand that just because you go to a church, that's not by default that automatically makes you a Christian, that you're actually part of the family of God, because there are people that go to church every single week and they're still not part of the family of God. So you say, well, well, then how do you become part of the family of God? Well, we need to look to the word of God to understand what does it mean to be part of the family of God. And Peter does a wonderful job explaining to us what the church is. Uh, I want to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, and verses 9 and 10. And I love how Peter explains what the church is and, and how you are a part of this. Listen to how he describes the Christian. He says, but you are what? A chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Wow, you're part of something much bigger than the people that are sitting here this morning. He says, you are a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were a people, not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What Peter does here, he uses very descriptive language describing the church. Each word that Peter uses describes a people that are separate and different from 
the world. Listen to what he says. Listen to the descriptive language he uses. First, he says, you are chosen by God. You did not choose God. God chose you first. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, God demonstrates his love for us, that while we're still sinners, Jesus died for us. So God chose you. You didn't come and say, okay, God, now I choose you and I'm all set. No, he called you by his Holy Spirit. He spoke to your heart. He said, you know what? This is the way you were living. You felt convicted about that. There was something, you knew there was something missing in your life. You knew there was something that that just wasn't right. And that was sin in your life. And you knew that when you came to Christ, Christ worked that out for you. He died for you. When you came to that, that saving knowledge of who Christ was, that's what saved you. When you came to faith, to Christ and put your hope in him, that's what saved you. So God chose you from the foundations of the earth. He chose you. He knew you before you were even formed in your mother's womb. He knew you. Wow, that's pretty neat. He said to Jeremiah the prophet, I knew you before you were even formed. I called you before you were even formed. I knew you. That's why there is no mistakes when it comes to God. You may feel like, well, you know what? The way I was born, the way I, you know, that. My parents said I was a mistake. No, you weren't. Not according to God's plan. He chose you and he's called you and he's been calling you. And there may be some of you here sitting today and you feel like, you know, I feel like I was a mistake. My parents said I was the oops baby. Doesn't that just make you feel special? You were the oops baby. We weren't expecting you. Thanks, mom and dad. That makes me feel real special. Thank you. But you know what? God knew you. He knew you before you were formed, for the foundation of the earth. He knew. And he knew you. And he loves you. He died for you. And he's been calling you. The question is, are you listening to him? So there's no mistake. So God's the one that chose us. He says also, we are a nation of priests who minister for the Lord. We've got a saying at our church is, th- is this. Every member is a minister. There's just not one pastor here and then some assistant pastors that just do all the ministry. We've got this notion. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was the way we've kind of did the whole pastoral thing or the whole church thing. It was like the pastor did all the work. Well, Pastor, you've got to go here. Can you go and visit my friend? No. You go and visit him. Why don't you go minister to him? Right? Well, well, Pastor, well, I don't, well, you know, I've got this friend, you know, and, and you know, you, I, you can do just as good a job, probably better job than I can ministering to them. Everyone is a minister. You're, you're a royal priesthood that God called you out of this world to use you to minister to other people. He wants to use your gifts and your talents that he's given you to minister to other people. It's so much more than just about coming to church on a Sunday morning. God wants to use you to reach out to other people. It's so much more than just being part of a a once a week, hour and a half service. God wants to use you in the world to minister to other people that are hurting and need to hear the good news. You're that royal priesthood. So guess what? I bless all of you. In the name of the Father, Son, hallelujah. Go out and minister. Okay, there you go. If you want me to give you a little piece of paper, I will. It says you are ordained to go out and minister for Jesus. All right, so you're all set. See, we, we, we've got this notion that, well, the pastors do all the work. No, Peter says that you are a nation of priests, ministers for the Lord. Every person calls in the name of the Lord and follows him as a minister. He also says that you're a holy people, that you are set apart, that you're different now, that you've been cleansed from your sin. And so now I've consecrated you to be a holy people, set apart to do great things for me. He said, you're a people who have received mercy. We are recipients of God's grace. Once we were enemies with God and, and, and we were, were headed to damnation apart from God's grace and mercy. But now we've received his mercy and his grace. And we are now at peace with the Lord. That is the church. So what I want to focus on today is the church as a, Holy people. Listen, if there is any mark of the church, it should be holiness. The church should be something that is different and separate. 
And, and there are many misconceptions when it comes to the topic of holiness. And we, we've taken a close look at the church through the eyes of the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians. And, and I want to look at what Paul has to say about the church concerning holiness. Because what's happening in our world today, this topic of holiness and the church being separate from the world is getting really blurred. Because much of the church now is accepting much of the worldly philosophy and what it's began to do is mix in with the church and what the church believes. And now in the world and the people that look at the church really don't know, what does the church stand for now? What do we believe? Well, can I tell you what we believe? There's a couple things we believe and we believe that the Bible is true. This fellowship believers, we believe that the Bible is God's ultimate authority for us, for morality, for living holy, for the sanctity of marriage. We believe that marriage is between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman. Now, here's, 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 here's the reason why. It's not because I believe it. It's because God ordained it in the first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, that he said a man shall leave his father and mother and cling or be united with his wife. We believe in the sanctity of marriage because God ordained it. We believe in the sanctity of life, that every life is valuable and important to God. And there's many things that are coming into the body or people call themselves believers or followers of Christ. And all these things are becoming blurred. Why? Because we're getting away from this. We're getting away from what God has ordained in his word for us to follow. And the reason is, is because he wants to protect you. He set up guardrails in our lives to show us what it means to please him and to obey him. And thus, when we do that, we have a blessed life. God desires the best for you. He doesn't want to take anything away from you. He desires the best for you. So we set up these guardrails in our lives so that, so that we can be blessed and we don't, we don't have to be hurt by the wages of sin and the things in the world. So listen to Paul's definition here of what it means to be holy. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, 17 through 24. Let me read it to you because Paul says, listen, this is how you are to live as followers of Jesus Christ. This is how you are to live as children of the light. You came out of this darkness, and this is how you are to live. There should be something that designates you as a follower of Jesus Christ. So this is what it should look like. So he says, I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God, Because of their ignorance that's in them, due to the hardening of their hearts, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality, so to indulge in every kind of impurity, with a continual lust for more. But listen to what he says in verse 20. You, but you, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus You were taught with regards of your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitudes of your mind and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I want you to to be reminded of something here. As Paul writes to this group of believers in Ephesus, Ephesus was just an immoral city. They were constantly bombarded by all kind of immoralities that they could easily uh, fall back into. And so when God called these Ephesian Christians out of this former world, he's saying, listen, you're not part of that world anymore. In fact, this is how immoral. And it's no, you think, well, that was back then. They probably didn't have a lot of problems. Yeah, they did. It it would make you sick to your stomach, the temple prostitution that went on. In fact, I did a study, so I was studying about uh, the background of the city of Ephesus. It was, you know, a, a Roman colony, very Romanized, and, and a lot of architecture, a lot of beautiful buildings. They had one building there, it was like a library that men could go to. Well, what you didn't realize, in that library, there was a tunnel in the library that you could go through that led to a brothel. 
So when men would go to the library, they weren't actually going to read books. They were going to a brothel that they could go to, to live immoral lives. That's what the town of, that's what the city of Ephesus was like. This is who Paul is writing to. These very people that Paul is writing to are the very people that were caught up in this type of lifestyle. And Paul is saying, listen, that was the darkness of your thinking. No longer should you indulge in these things any longer because that was in darkness. You're children of light. There should be something different. God has separated you from that lifestyle. Now you are God's chosen followers and you need to live like it. Don't mix with that any longer. Don't mix with the world any longer because what it will cause you to do is fall back into that immorality and cause you to fall away from God. So Paul is very clear here that God calls us to be holy. The question is, here's the big question. How does it look? And so Paul is clear with his listeners in Ephesus that they no longer should live as they did if they continue to live in their old, old ways then he begins to wonder if transformation really happened in their lives. So what Paul tells them is to put off their old ways to become like Christ. So the question is, how? How do I know? How do I know what I'm doing is right? Because the world tells me one thing, that this is okay. And so is this okay for me? That's why we have to go into the word of God and see what God requires and how God desires us to be obedient. Now, through church history... Christians have struggled with two major areas or two major errors or pitfalls when it comes to holy living. And through church history, every church denomination is trying to figure out what should the church look like? What should we do and what shouldn't we do? And because of that, in all fairness, the church kind of goes through these pendulums. Sometimes we swing way over here and we see this in church history. And maybe you were brought up in this way that it's like they, they mandate all these rules and regulations of how we're going to live, how you're going to live. And we're going to make it so tight and needy that you can't even breathe because we're going to put a noose around your neck. Okay, so we're going to tell you how to live your life. So there's no mistaking. This is what it means to be whole. And then the pendulum sometimes swings because people react to this. They say, well, I'm sick of that type of church because they have do ding down, do ding down. Like, you know, blah. And then the pendulum kind of swings over this way to where it's like, okay, I'm going to react against all this stuff. So now I'm going to swing over to this way. And, and now I got license to do whatever I want to do in the name of Jesus Christ. So where's the balance? Somewhere there's got to be a balance in between the road to holy living is definitely not without its pitfalls veering to the the right or the left can be very easy to do if we're not careful and so we've got to be careful that when we come into the kingdom of god we come in with a lot of baggage and i mean a lot of baggage who can say amen we all have a history of dysfunctions and addictions and abuse we understand that in Christ we are a new creation, yet there are our past. And at times we feel like that past is hard to overcome and we struggle to overcome our past at times. And if we are not careful, we can deal with our stuff in the wrong way and truly never find the path to holiness, true holiness, that God desires. Because some people can hide under this realm of holiness by the way they look and what they do and don't do. But in the inside, they're just like the Pharisees. Their hearts are hardened. They're not tender towards the Lord. On the outside, they look great. But on the inside, it's just like what Jesus says. It's like whitewashing tombs. And inside those tombs are the bones of dead men. And then you got people over here who, with license, say, okay, well, we can do everything we want because we're in God's grace and I want to be free, so I'm going to blah, blah, blah. And, and we can be very careful to swing to one of those two pendulums. And so we've got to be very, very careful here. And so the good news is that there's hope. And I believe Paul tells us what we can do about this. I want to look at two errors or two pitfalls that we can fall into as we pursue holiness. And uh, I read this book by Chip Ingram, did a good job with this. And, and uh, I appreciate what he said here. And let, let me give you the two things here. The first pitfall, the first error that we can fall into is moralism. Now, this is one error that the church has made in the past or the church is making today. Some churches are making today when it tries to look holy. And what it is, is it's a form 
of behavioral modification. What happens within the church, if we are not careful, we can reduce holiness to a set of rules that we need to keep. And then what we do is we try to begin to make up those rules that everyone needs to follow. And not only do that, but then we impose those rules on others because we say this is how you are to look. And that's a form of of legalism that can choke the life out of a church. Can literally stop it from breathing. Legalism is when we enforce all these rules on everyone else. It's the letter of the law. We are going to follow the letter of the law. And if you don't like it, tough. And meanwhile, that noose gets tighter and tighter and tighter till it literally chokes the spirit out of a church. Listen, we're just as fault as that as any other body of believers. And some of you may have been brought out of that type of a church. You got hammered in you. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. If you do this and you're just walking around a guilty basket case, <laughs> you know, I, I, I had one pastor. I'm not kidding you. Pastor that I served under in South Carolina, the church he grew up in said, listen, if you go to a movie and you're in a movie house, or theater, and the rapture would occur, you would not go. (laughs) Serious. Bondage. Now, do we need to be careful about what movies we're watching? You better believe it. Does that mean we have license to see whatever we want? No, that's not what I'm saying. So here, here, what happens is, the minute I even mention movies, all the moralist ears come up. Oh, what's Pastor talking about? What movie? And then the, 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 the more that people have license over here go, well, what's, what's Pastor talking What's the big deal? Movies? What's he talking about? I mean, people have problems with movies. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So we've got to be careful. Where's the balance? Where am I living holy by doing these things? Am I corrupting my mind with what I'm watching. There's got to be a balance here, right? Just going to a theater doesn't mean that you're a filthy, lousy sinner. If you're going to what you're watching and it's corrupting your mind, then you better be careful because that's going to cause you to, to fall into sin and turn away from the Lord. Amen? So let's be careful here. Let's, let's remember there's the point to where we have to have balance here. But the problem is when we begin to try to make up rules that are, are man-made and, and try to impose them on others. This is what Jesus faced when he came against the Pharisees of his, of his day. They were the religious elite who tried to impose their rules on others until it became a burden to others. And so what they did was they took the law of God, which, which was meant to, to, to free men and bring order to their lives and, and put guardrails around their life. And what they did is they added to God's law. So let me give a perfect example. A perfect example of this is the Sabbath. And what they began to do with the Sabbath, which was God's day of rest, is they took the Sabbath, which was God's gift to men to rest, saying you need a day of rest. If you're working, 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 you're not going to be restful. You can't reflect on what the Lord has done for you. So the Sabbath was God's day that he gave to us to reflect and to thank the Lord what he's done. I've given you these six days to work, but on the seventh day, you're going to rest. You're going to reflect. It's my gift to you. Well, what the Pharisees did was they took that Sabbath day rest. And if you did anything on that day, anything, if you picked something up, if you washed your car on that day, If you went to Wegmans on that day, some of you moralists are over here going, that's what I was taught growing up in church, that if I washed my car, I was going to hell in a handbasket because it was Sunday and I couldn't do a thing on Sunday. And I actually had someone come up to me one time and say, Pastor, is it okay to wash my car on Sunday? I don't care. As long as you wash my car too, I don't care. Do whatever you want. No, if it's a conviction, if you don't do it, but it's, see, that's the Pharisees. So they're, 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 they've got cloths over their drinks to strain out the water to make sure there's no gnats in in the water. Because if they drink that net, they would become unclean. And, And they were doing all these crazy things to add to God's law. It would be like this. Here's how bad 
moralists can get and legalism can get. It would be like this. Here God gives us his day of rest, a gift for us to reflect. And we need to rest in the Lord. We need to reflect on the Lord. Listen, some of you think like, I'm going to get ahead. I'm going to get ahead. So I'm going to work, 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 work. You know what? Here's what God does. If you reflect and just give a day to him, guess what? He'll fill in the gaps for you. You will. I'm just saying, okay? So be at church on Sunday. No, that's the morals. Okay, so here we go. So it'd be like this. You're going out for ice cream, all right? And you go into the ice cream store, and you walk in there, and there's just one flavor. And they say to them, okay, we're going to give you one flavor. The only thing you can have is vanilla. And we're only going to serve this ice cream from one to two, one day a week. You can't have whatever you want. You can't have whatever flavor. This is what you're going to get, and you're going to like it. And you're going to like this cone, and you're going to eat it at this time, and you're going to and you're, you're you're going to like vanilla, whether you like it or not. And you can only eat ice cream. And if you get any ice cream on your face, you're going to get in trouble. So this is what you're going to do, and th- this is it, and this is the time, and this is what flavor. Would that be fun at all? No, not at all. Ice cream is supposed to be expensive, and it's supposed to cost money. And just plan on spending 30 bucks when you get ice cream, when you go out for ice cream. Okay, it's going to cost money. Just enjoy it. But what we do is many times we suck the life out of funness because we're such moralists that we can't be free in the Lord. That's what moralism can do. Okay, that's what it can do. It can suck the life out of the church. Now, listen to the words of Jesus here. And this is what he says to those. Now, the verse that you're going to see, that's the wrong verse in Matthew. I don't know why I had that in there. It's talking about John's beheading, that the mother wanted John's head. In a, and you're, some of you are probably reading that right ahead. You're like, what does that got to do with the price of oil? I have, what's pastor going with that? That's actually a bad mom, so you don't want to follow. But anyways, that's not the verse. I don't know what I was thinking. I meant to give you Matthew 11, okay? So Matthew 11:28. Jesus speaking here, and he says this to those that have been... What, the context of this chap, the verse in the chapter is, is that these are the people that felt burdened by religion to the point they just gave up. Because of the pharisaical laws, they couldn't do it. How many of you ever felt that way? I just can't do this religious stuff. I can't do it. There's too many rules, too many things I got to do and don't do. And I'm just going to give up because I just can't do it. And this is what Jesus says to them. He says, come to me, all you are weary and burdened from religious domination and rules and this and that. He says, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Don't take the yoke upon the Pharisees because that's just going to suck the life out of you. He says, for I'm gentle And humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Which means, does that mean you're going to have an easy life in Christ? No. What it does mean is Jesus says, I'll set you free. I'm I'm not here to condemn you and to add all these rules and regulations on your life that just keeps you from walking in me. But my yoke is easy because I've already done it all for you. And when you come to me in faith, I will set you free. And I'll give you what you've been looking for all your life. So here's, here's the deal. The metamorphosis of moralism works this way. Not long after someone becomes a Christian, someone comes alongside them and begins to tell them how they are to act and what they must do. You need to do this, that, and the other. Rules may be different from one group to another, depending on what you were raised or your church background, but the rules usually focus on external things. Things that are easy to keep track of. It may be the version of the Bible that you read. I love that one. That one makes no sense to me. Or maybe the one or the way one dresses or how often someone goes to church. The result of this type of thinking, people, is disastrous. We begin to think we are holy by what we do or don't do, and it becomes something I do and not God. And one of the biggest traps of moralism is comparison. We base our holiness on comparing ourselves with other people. I'm more holy than you by what I do or don't do, and I'm going to let you know about it. I don't swear, I don't cuss, and I don't go with girls that do. It's that type of thinking. So that's one extreme. Okay. Now, before we jump off this, this boat here, but there's another pitfall. There's another error that we can fall into if we are not careful and our pursuit of holiness. And that's the second one. And that's antinomianism. And what is that? What's that big word? Well, there are some that in reaction to the moralist, 
go way the other way and they swing the pendulum over here and their mantra is relationships, not regulation. And basically what antinomianism basically means is anti means against, nomos means the law. It's against the law. Both moralist and antinomianism is a perversion of God's grace. Moralism will eventually lead us into bondage to a list of rules as much as antinomianism will lead us back into bondage of our old life under the disguise of grace. So here's where we have to be careful. So what is the answer, Pastor? How can I keep myself from falling into either one of these two errors? we must first ask ourselves this question. Is my life changing? Am I growing? Am I convicted about certain things in my life? It's not about trying harder. That's just me doing the work. It's allowing God to do the transformation through his word, through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's where we need to be very, very careful. It it all boils down to my relationship with Christ. Is my heart tender to the voice of the Lord? Is my heart tender to convictions that the Lord has been speaking to me about and maybe I'm not listening? Did you see what I'm saying? It comes down to the relationship. It's not about, oh, did I do I do another rule so now I look good so that you know I got this checklist. Or is it over here where I'm not even listening to the Lord, where I'm just like, well, I'm free in the Lord, so I'm just do what I want. And meanwhile, my life's really a wreck because it's not in order. It's not correct. It's not, I'm not, I, I know that some of these things are wrong, but I continue to do them, even listening to the voice of God and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And what Paul does here, here is he mentions some, a couple of major points when it comes to holiness as he speaks to this group of people in Ephesus who live in a very immoral society. So what is he saying? What what, what Paul says is first, he says, if if we're going to live holy lives and we understand that by living a holy life, this is important to God and this is imperative to God, then what does it look like? How are we to respond to this? Well, Paul responds this by first saying, listen, a believer's life must be characterized by moral purity. Okay. So what does this mean? Well, Paul tells us that there's a separation that occurs. I should no longer desire those things that I know will corrupt me and turn me away from the living Christ that will cause me to become deaf to God's voice. This will always happen very slowly. Listen to me closely. Compromise is a road that is marked by small choices. No one that follows Christ just sins and rebels one day and just falls off the turnip wagon. Okay, Rebellion comes from small choices. We justify and turn from God's prompting and begin to listen to my heart. And so what we begin to do is we begin to justify our actions by saying, God wants me to be happy. Does God want you to be happy? Does God want you to be happy in sin? No, of course not. So God wants you to be happy. The problem is we use that excuse by saying this can't be wrong because it feels so right. So moral purity works this way. God, I want to please you. It's not look at what I do. It's obedience. So you can have two people that will look me straight in the eye and say, well, pastor, I love this person and we are committed to each other. And so what's the big deal if we have sex outside of marriage? Because we're still going to get married. And I'll turn to the scripture and I'll say, because this is what God says about that act outside of marriage. It's called fornication. That's what it's called. And God has set up the plan for the marriage bed to be pure and holy in the context of marriage that God has brought together. Outside of that, you're outside of God's plan and it's sin. I don't care how much you, you feel about it or whether you love. That's great. I'm glad you love and you're committed to that person. But God's word strictly forbids it. 
So you can argue with me all day long. It still doesn't make it right whether or not you feel good about it or you say, well, how could this be wrong? God's word says it's outside of his plan. We are saying, well, pastor, you're running over to the moralists. You're legalistic. No, I'm not. I'm not legalistic at all. Because well, you want me to run over here and, and give it a blessing and say that God says it's okay. No, we've got to be obedient to the word of the Lord. This isn't a gray area. This is an area that God directly speaks to. Because why? To, because he wants to keep you in a bondage and, and keep you free from, from knowing good things? No, he wants to keep you free from knowing bad things. That can destroy your life because of sin, because he cares for you. God loves you and he does want the best for you. We have to understand, people, that we were bought with a price and I'm not my own anymore. I'm the Lord's and I need to be obedient to his word. So the question is what Paul is is saying to the church in Ephesus, which is no different than what we're battling with here today in 2012. He's saying, listen, are you honoring God? Are you pleasing God in your body? Are you honoring him? Are your relationships pure? Are they above board? Are you doing what I've called you to do? You may say, well, pastor, that's old fashioned. No, it's not. That's God protecting you because he loves you. And you can say, well, pastor, that ship has already sailed, okay? What happens now? Here's the good thing, that you can still come back. Lord, I have actually counseled with couples that were getting married, that made wrong choices, that were having sex outside of marriage. And I began to explain God's plan to them, that, hey, God has something better for you. He wants you to separate. And they're like, really? But that ship's already sailed. We've already messed up. I said, here's the good news. If you repent before the Lord, and give your lives to him, he's going to honor that decision for you. They're like, wow. And this, I remember this one couple I counseled with, this one girl goes, you know what? She goes, I wish I was educated on this when I was younger. You know why? Because nobody's talking about it. Nobody's given the better plan. Nobody's telling, hey, here's God's better plan for you. This is not even a better plan. This is God's perfect plan for you because he loves you. And he cares for you. So what they did is they did separate before they got married. I was like, go Jesus. And God bless them. I said, Here, here's the other thing. I said, think, let's get real practical, okay? You're going to have children one day, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We want to have kids. Oh, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. I said, okay, your daughter comes to you and she's 17. Guess what you're going to tell her now when she says she wants to go move in with her boyfriend or when she turns 18? Guess what you're going to tell them now? You're going to say, you know what? Your daddy and I made a mistake, but we made it right before the Lord and we honored his word by separating because we wanted to be an example to you of what it meant to honor God in a married relationship. They looked at me like two deers in a headlight. They're like, you know what? I never thought about So regardless of what decisions your kids make or don't make, you can set the example by saying, you know what? Yeah, we did it wrong. We made wrong choices, but you know what? We made it right before the Lord by honoring him. Amen. Now, listen, I'm talking about two people that came into my office that claim to be Christians. Okay. And if we're followers of Christ, these weren't two people that came out that didn't know anything about Jesus or the Lord or were not Christians. Okay. I'm talking about two people that came out that said, we are followers of Jesus Christ. I said, then if you are followers of Jesus Christ, you must honor his word. And this is the way you do it. And you know what? They did. They became obedient. That has nothing to do with being a moralist or swinging over to the the license side. This has everything to do with obeying the Lord. If you call yourself a follower of Christ, we must obey his word when it comes to these particular things that God is so blatant about because he wants to protect us. Amen. So Paul is telling his listeners, a new life demands that we live a different lifestyle. And so Paul even goes further. He says, listen, for the follower of Christ an immoral lifestyle is incomprehensible because holiness means to be separate 
and consecrated unto God. In Christ, we care, we care about how we live our lives and, and we realize that we are representing Christ. We, we are conscious of the choices we make and we make choices based on what pleases the Lord. So we may stop and say, well, wait a, wait a minute. What, what, you, know, what, you know, we have to stop and say, wait a minute. Does this honor Christ? So remember, to do the things that are dishonoring to Christ would be a contradiction to who we are in Christ and a contradiction to who Christ actually is. So Paul tells his listeners, you know who Christ is. You were taught in these things. You know what is correct. Now walk in them. The example is like little children. You teach them to act a certain way. And when they don't, we say to them, well, you knew better. I told you not to do that. Why did you do that? Have you ever done that with your kids? Don't touch the hot stove. Got to touch the hot stove. Ow, I burned myself. I told you it was hot. Why did you? I told you not. Why did you do that? See, the way you are living, living, living is, is, should be consistent with the way you were taught. So it does come to the point of obedience. Am I, am I going to obey? The, if I'm going to say that I'm a follower of Christ, am I going to obey, obey his word? And this is the same sentiment that Paul brings to his listeners. He brings the same sentiment to his listeners. So how? How do we live this holy life? How do we do it practically? Well, Paul gives us three ideas that can help us to live a holy life that honors the Lord. Let me give, give, these, give these to you real quick in closing. Listen to what he says. He says in these passages, he says, first of all, put off your old self. This is a conscious decision to leave your old man behind. I no longer live a double life, one foot in the church and one foot in the world. Actually, the, the tense of the verb is decisive. It's, it's a point in time where it says, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. Where there, you know, if, if I'm saying, what, what's in my old life that I need to put off? What are some things that I'm still going back to that the Lord has convicted me on that I know I need to, to give up? Well, that's what Paul means by putting off your old self. If there are things that you are doing that you know represents your old man and that old sinful lifestyle, he said, you shouldn't go to those places anymore. Those are a stumbling block to you. You need to put that. There's a decisive decision that says, I'm going to follow Christ and I'm going to leave this old world behind the, the one of the most dramatic things that happened to me when I got saved as a 16 year old. Now, when you go to school and I'm a freshman high school, West Ronaquette high school, you know, you, you, you swear with your friends. Swearing was a big thing. You know, you got in school, you know, you, you think that's cool and you start, you know, swearing with your friends so that, you know, I did that. I know I swore. Okay. Pastor swore. I did. And I liked it, by the way, too, because it was fun. Sin is fun for a time. In the end, it leads to death. And I can remember the moment I got saved, it was on a Wednesday, and I had to go to school on that Thursday. I can remember one of the most dramatic things was the Lord convicting me about my language. I mean, right away. It wasn't like... Oh, yeah, that's an onion that has to get peeled off, so I'm going to keep swearing. You know, the Lord's still working on me here, so I'm going to keep cussing and swearing. No, it was right away. It was like, you know, I was convicted, and, and I, didn't, I couldn't do it anymore. I just couldn't do it because it was just, it wasn't legalism. It wasn't someone came up to me and said, you can't say those words. Beat me down, those legalists. No, it wasn't. It was the Lord was convicting me, saying, Barden, that's your old life. That's your old way. You, you need to change. No, you need to change your, your language. So my vocabulary cut in half, and I started. You know, no. It was a conviction that I knew that was my old life. And for some of you, you know the same thing. The Lord has convicted you about something in your past that you know that you're trying to follow the Lord. That you need just to follow Him in obedience. And say, you know what? You ought not do that anymore, because it's an area that's going to trip you up if you're not careful. So Paul's saying. Put off that old self. The, the, it's literally that thing that ties you with your old man. 
You know, just because I stopped cussing, that, 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 it's not works that saves me. It was my faith in Christ Jesus that saved me. It wasn't my works. I wasn't trying to clean myself up first and say, okay, now you accept me, Lord. That's not it at all. The Lord saved me, but he renewed me from the inside out that my outside man wasn't, was not reflective of what God did in the inside man. So if, if there's not some evidence of, of, of change from the outside man, I wonder if there's really some problems with Jesus really changing the inside man. Does that make sense? So let's be careful. Paul says, put off that old self. And the second thing he says are about holy living is renew your mind. You've got to rethink the way you think things. Remember, garbage in, garbage out. What you feed grows. What you starve dies. And so we have to re- literally renew our mind from, from what we were taught and, and some of the ways of the world. How many know what I'm talking about? You're like, man, I was so in just... My mind was so consumed with some of the things in the world and about getting ahead. I mean, when I grew up in the 80s, it was money, 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 money. Everything was like getting the good job, getting in the right school. There was such competition in our school to be in the AP classes. So you get in a good D1 school. So you get the perfect job. There's all this, you know, you got it, got it. You know, it's all this drive. And it's just consumed how much money you're going to make. You've got to renew your mind from that stuff. And the way you do that is through God's word and through prayer and through Bible study and through small groups and by coming under the teaching of God's word. We have to discipline our minds and renew our minds from the things of the world that were implanted there to the things of God. It's recognizing the destruction patterns that were in your life and turning and then turning to Christ and allowing him to transform the way you think now. And so we begin to think differently as we meditate on God's word, the things that are pure and the things that are right. And this is a process that happens over time. So you've got to be diligent in your Bible study and prayer and renewing your mind. And when those things creep up from your past, I call them the ugly green monster that slips up from the past. Ever happened to you? The ugly green monster. You're like, where did that come from? That's the ugly green monster that lived in your life before. It creeps up once in a while and it's going to surprise you. You're going to say, oh, God's still working on me. That thing slipped up. Nobody's perfect. I mean, you could save. You're not perfect. God's going to keep working. It's a process of sanctification. And so we've got to continue to renew our minds and say, okay, that's not the way I deal with it. Some of you had tremendous anger problems before you were saved. And the way you dealt with it was through violence and anger and getting mad and throwing things. And that's the way you dealt with it. But now that you've been transformed, you're like, uh-oh, God, the fruit of the Spirit needs to be evident in my life. I need to show self-control here. Lord, help me with that. Help me with that, Lord. Renew my mind to not react this way because I know that reacting this way is only going to lead me into, into sin. You filled me with your spirit. I'm consumed with you now, God. So, Lord, allow that fruit be evident in my life so that I'm following you. So when that ugly green monster creeps its ugly head up, you know that God is still working on you and submit that to the Lord for the Lord to help you. Constant renewing of the mind. And then, and then he says, so he says, put on your old self, renew your mind. And then he says, put on your new self. And the metaphor here is literally putting on new clothes. Isn't it nice getting new clothes? Okay, nobody likes getting new clothes. Okay, I thought I'd at least get a couple of ladies out there. Anybody like buying new clothes? Amen. Okay, you guys are trying to be all holy. No, Pastor, I don't like getting new clothes because, you know, I, that's of the world. That's ungodly. Okay. This is what Paul's saying. Our new man is what God originally intended for us. So now we bring our behavior in line with our new self. And we literally clothe ourselves with that new man that God now makes us a new creation in him. We clothe ourselves in Christ's righteousness. No longer does that past hold us captive any longer. The things that I used to do, the things I used to be known for, no longer can hold me captive. I can cut, the, I can cut that cord that ties me to my past now and I can be free in Christ Jesus. So am I putting off that old man? Am I renewing my mind? Am I putting on that new self that, that Christ desires for us? That's what it means to be living holy lives. Are you just living your life by just a set of rules? Are you living your life by however you feel, but it's really not in order with, with God's word? Then, we, then you really don't understand what holy living really is about. 
Are you judging people by the way they look on the outside? Because if you are, be careful. We've all done that, right? We've judged the way people look and we think, oh, look at that person. They must be, oh, and then we come to find out they're a Christian and they love Jesus. We're like, oh, I missed that one, huh? And it can be just the other way around. You see the way somebody looks and you think, oh, look at that. And they just have ugly hearts. Let's be careful that we're not judging the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. So are you giving your heart to the Lord? Are you allowing God to deal with those things? I love this famous philosopher during the first century in Rome said these words. He said, all my life, I've been seeking to climb out of the pit of my besetting sins and I cannot do it. And I never will unless a hand is let down to draw me up. And some of you here today, you feel like you are drowning in your past that you just cannot overcome your past, the guilt, the pain, whatever it is. Listen, some of you think, well, I'll just, you know, it's it's funny with people with with real guilt in their past, they try to make it up by doing a lot of good things. I'll go to church and and that will make up for it. Then you go home and you don't feel any different. Or I'll do a lot of service work projects and give to people. And, And sometimes I see people that are a little bit overzealous in doing all these good works. I always say in the back of my mind, I wonder if something's going on in their past that they're trying to make up for. Because you know what? It it will become an endless pit of service projects or doing good deeds that will never cover the emptiness that you feel in your heart. Only Christ can do that. The Bible says that we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So it's okay to do those things. I'm not telling you not to do But if you're doing them to make up for your past or the guilt of your past, you'll never do it. You'll never do it. Trying to be holy on your own is an endless pit that will never be filled. So allow your holiness to come to the Lord. Maybe God has been speaking to your heart and been convicting your heart about certain areas of your life that you need to bring in line. Listen to me. Can I just be dead honest with you this morning? Let me just be clearly clear with you this morning. There are some things in my life that I cannot do because for me, it would be sin. Now, is it a sin to do those things? No. So there are definitely some gray areas that Paul even addresses that for you, it might be a sin, but for us. But if I stand up here and I start beating you over the head for my convictions, guess where that's going to lead you to? Legalism. So there are some things that I don't do in my life because I know for me, it's sin. I know for me, it would be compromised and I can't do it. But I'm not going to sit here before you as your pastor and constantly, constantly just berate you with some of my convictions. And there are some of your convictions that I might do that you say, well, man, pastor washes his car on Sunday. Who does he think he is? Doesn't he know it's the Lord's day? Well, guess what? I have to work on Sunday because I preach every day. So Friday's my Sabbath. And believe me, I take that day off. Thank you, Jesus. And guess what? I washed my car on Friday too. And I did it this past Friday. So get over yourselves, okay? Listen, listen. But for some of you, but for some of you, it's sin for you to what? Then don't do it, Paul says. Then don't do it. But keep it between yourself in God. Now, there are other things we're going to deal with that are sin, and we're going to make a stand for the sanctity of marriage, the sanctity of life, who Christ is. Those are, those, are, those are things that we are never going to bend on because that's what God says keeps us holy before him, that we don't fall away from him. But there are certain things in your life that maybe God has led you to because it's a conviction for you, then by all means, follow your hearts, okay? But let's not fall into the pit of moralism that we've got to place that on everybody else. Now, we had a guy in our church when I was in South Carolina that he got on this whole no TV kick. And that's great. If you don't want to watch TV, that's fine. Well, he started telling everybody else that if you watch TV, you're a sinner. Now, how many of you know the TV itself is not evil? 
So don't lay hands on your TV and say, let the spirits come out. Okay? It's, it's like the TV's evil. How many know it's what comes out of the TV that can be evil? It's what you set before your eyes that can be, right? Set no evil thing before your eyes because the TV can be an idol. Anything can become an idol, right? So let's not put any idol. Let's not put that above the Lord. Amen? Because just throwing out your TV doesn't mean anything because what you've done is you've just taken one idol and replaced it with another idol. God wants to take your heart and so have it captivated that when he speaks to you, you're listening. Amen? I want to be holy before the Lord, don't you? But I don't want that type of holiness. And I don't want this type of holiness of just whatever you want. And the other type of holiness is just a bunch of rules and regulations that just chokes the life out of a church. It's by grace that you have been set free. By God's grace. Live a life of freedom and liberty in the Lord. So guess what? If you want to come to this church with a suit and tie, come on. If you want to come with jeans and a t-shirt, come on. Just be modest, okay? (laughs) Amen? Be modest in what you wear. Praise God. So we're not going to tell you what to wear when you come here. We're not going to... You know what? I just bought this jacket. I like this jacket. I bought this jacket for Ruth Brooks because I know she likes when I wear jackets. So I do it for Ruth. Just come and worship the Lord. Let the Lord speak to you in those areas. Amen? My desire for your pastor is to allow the freedom of the Lord to rule and reign in this place. That the life and breath of God will breathe into you and keep you free in him and not entrapped by rules and regulations or not entrapped by sin. Because whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Amen. So Lord, we come before you today. Lord, I don't know where everybody is today. I don't know where the backgrounds is. I don't know what they've gone through. I know a message like this is real hard to swallow because, Lord, we can, we can easily fall in one or two camps. But, Lord, wherever we are, we ask that you would set us free. That, Lord, the holiness in our lives would not be dictated by what we do or don't do, but the holiness in our life would be dictated by how we're knowing you and how our lives are changing. Jesus, we want to know you. Lord, I want to be just like how you dealt with that woman who was caught in adultery and she was flung at your feet. And and Jesus, you looked at her and as her accusers wanted her to be stoned because that was the letter of the law that she should be stoned because she was caught in the act of adultery and, and she should have been stoned. But Jesus, you looked at the spirit of the law too. And you looked into that woman's heart And you saw a repentant woman who was at the feet of Christ and you showed mercy to her. And you looked at her and you said, go and sin no more. Where are your accusers? They are here and I do not condemn you either. Go now leave your life of sin. Instead of of condemning her, Lord, and putting more guilt on her, you set her free. And she walked away in the freedom of Christ. And Lord, I pray that for us here today, wherever we are, that you would set us free. Set us free from the guilt of our past and the condemnation that has been reaped upon us. Set us free from the idea that I've got to follow you by rules and regulations. Set us free from the idea, Lord, that, Lord, it really doesn't matter. I can do what I want. Lord, set us free from those things that keep us from truly knowing you. And I pray you just touch every heart in this place today. We just want to know you, Jesus. We just want to know you. So we thank you. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want you to stand this morning. Listen, as we sing this song in closing today, if um, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to have the front open, the altars open. If you want to come and pray today, maybe God's just dealing with some things in your heart today and you just need to lay these things, just, just lay them at, Christ's feet today and and you just feel compelled just to pray today, you can come up front and just pray. And I don't want you to leave this place with anything that's a burden in your heart that that Christ can't take away from you. So as we sing this unto the Lord, let's just sing it unto the Lord. Let the Lord set you free today. Amen. Praise God. God bless you as you sing this to Jesus. Amen.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you.
Lord, we thank you that our righteousness is only found in you. And Lord, I pray that our cleansing and our holiness would come directly from Christ. Lord, that God, you would take us and separate us from that old world, my old self. And thank you, Lord, that you reconstruct us into the person that you desire us to be. So, Lord, help us to stop trying to do it on our own and our own strength. And may we allow Christ to do the transformation in our hearts as we seek your face, as we read your word, as we listen to your spirit. Lord, may you do the transformation every single one of our hearts. I thank you, Lord, for the miracles that you've done in individual lives here in this place. Of you've taken our past that was full of destruction and despair, and now you've given us hope and you've given us a future, Lord, because now we stand on that solid foundation of Christ Jesus. So I pray you'd encourage every single person with those words that for those who are in Christ Jesus, we indeed are new creations. Behold, all things become new. And I thank you for that today. So we love you and we praise you. And I pray we just go in that knowledge of knowing who you are, Jesus, and what you've done for us. And we ask these things in your, in your name, in your name alone, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord praise for his word this morning. Amen. 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 God bless you guys and have an absolutely wonderful, wonderful day. Amen. Moms, don't do a thing today. <laughs>